You're listening to Tech Nest, the PropTech podcast. In each episode, you'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. Discover market opportunities, interesting data, growth tactics, and trends driving the industry forward. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. All right, get ready for, this has got to be one of the most, the highest energy interviews we've had on the show. Uh, Jeffrey Berman, he's one of the partners at Camber Creek venture capital. Did you know that's the oldest venture capital firm in the U.S. focused on driving innovation in the real estate industry? You know, I'll be honest with you. I didn't know that prior to prep for the show. And uh, by oldest, I mean, we're we're talking formally starting in in 2011. But nonetheless, uh, we get into a lot of stuff in here. You're going to hear some banter at the beginning of the show. And if that's not your thing, you know, you go ahead and skip ahead. But I think you're going to want to dig into it. Uh, we talk a little bit about the podcast. We talk about the trends in and around PropTech VC, some of the noise that we're hearing uh, and witnessing, the challenges that PropTech companies have been up against in their pursuit to totally upend, disrupt, and or transform how we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. And, you know, quite frankly, you know, we, I, I at least think that it's no surprise. It's really difficult to do. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't try. Uh, we should pursue that. Um, this was a lot of fun to do. This was an interesting uh, episode in that it's not your standard Q&A. This is really more about uh, you know having a, a, a back and forth dialogue. And admittedly, I think I only used maybe 10% of my notes for this conversation. And it's been one of my favorites. I think you're going to enjoy this. Let's jump right in. I feel hey, like- Jeffrey. Hey, Welcome I'm, to the show. I'm, I'm just like stepping all over you. And the reason being is I'm super excited to ask this question. And I wanted to make sure that this was part of the podcast before I even introduce myself to your audience. And they're going to be like, who is Jeffrey this? Jeffrey totally cut me off for the pre-show prep and said, let's, let's record and get this. So I have no idea what's coming. Let's do it. Okay. Now I feel like I've gilded the lily a little too much. But anybody who's listened to this podcast, and I'm one of them, when the intro comes in, who does that voiceover? Because it's awesome. Oh, the, the, you mean the new one? Yeah. Whoever, uh, whoever like, is like, welcome, welcome, welcome to Nate Smoyer Fest. We're going to crush you. It's like a monster truck rally. And then people come in and they're like, hey, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm going to bring the energy. But some of your guests are like, hey, Nate, what's up? And I, I just, I want to be that guy to just bam. So the backstory here is this. Um, I've always wanted to be in talk radio. And I love talk radio. And, uh, well, most people can't see it, but you can see the old school radio behind me, which was a gift from one of my mentors. And uh, it still works. It's great. It's an old GE. And um, so I went shopping on Fiverr for someone to do, I wanted like a morning radio kind of rush hour type talk show intro. That was the, the inspiration. And there's a handful of things that I've tried to create. So... First off is the elevator ding. Every yeah. time you get into an elevator, I always want you to think about Tech Nest. If you've ever heard my show and you get into an elevator, 
it will never be you will not be able to separate that and it it jarring it it wakes you up whenever you hear it the second thing is i want you to feel motion and traffic and city and life and movement and so that's kind of the inspiration behind the intro of like where well, how we got to where it is okay so, but but so first of all i want to know who the who that person cuz the voice sounds familiar to me oh i don't know it's a guy on fiverr i don't know i paid like really? 35 bucks for it well, I hope he's not listening because he should definitely have charged more than 35 bucks. It is <laughs> awesome. Wow. And, and also, I will tell you, you, you use the right word. That ding is jarring because I was, it's funny, I was on a plane, I'm on a plane every week it feels like, but I was on a plane like, I don't know, a month ago, and I think I was listening, I, 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 maybe it was the, uh, the dude from Heartland, and... Okay. And... Um, <laughs> I want to play it, and for some reason, my Bluetooth disconnected. And when I pressed play, it was like, bing! And the guy sitting next to me was like, what was that? I'm like, uh, sorry. <laughs> really sorry. Podcast. And, he, and here's what's interesting, too, because the ding is really loud, and then the voiceover comes in, and then I had to raise the volume to hear... What I think his name is Ben, maybe. And uh, Max from was from uh, Max, Max. Sorry, yeah, yeah, Max, yeah. Uh, sorry, Max. Sorry. Wait, I was just about to say Ben, Max, whatever. So anyway, I mean, maybe we should get this started in earnest. But I hope all this is part of it because this is just two people being people. <laughs> the uh, the you know the reality here is I'm a one man show and I'm not a, a sound mixing engineer and we we do what we do and that's it. Uh, there's no real apologies. You know, no, there's, is, a, there's a charm yeah. to it though. That's you gotta get what you get. That's for sure. Because I remember, like when a when a new episode comes out, it's I know exactly what I'm. I, like I can hear the ding right now in my head. I don't know if I should be upset or or like begrudgingly proud of the fact that you incepted something in my brain that's never going to go away, like that elevator ding. Ding. I. You know. I. I this is one of the greatest compliments and, and votes of confidence I think I've ever received. So, I mean, thank you for that feedback. I mean, it means a lot that you listen to the show, but also I'm glad that some of the psychology, I don't know, inception that I've been trying to impart on people is, it's worked. It, it, <laughs> so. it, it definitely has. And, it, you know, it's interesting. And you know, we'll talk about this during our conversation. But, you know, when you talk about founders and you talk about, uh, you know, maybe I should introduce myself. That's probably yeah. That, well, I think uh, we're right there. This is a great transition. Jeffrey, why don't yeah, you introduce so, yourself? Let everyone who you are and what you do. Yeah. So my name is Jeffrey Berman. I'm a partner at Camber Creek. We are the longest-standing real estate technology venture capital firm on the planet. Uh, we had our informal genesis back in '08 during the last real estate crisis, and we were formally founded back in 2011. And my partners and I and our investment team, we invest in technology startups that are accretive to the built world. And my specialty, what I really enjoy doing, is getting in the weeds really early with companies, even if we mm. don't invest in them at the earliest stages, helping them nurture their product, software, service, helping them grow to a place where we at Camber Creek can then become impactful investors. And I'm sure we'll talk about our investment thesis later and all that great stuff. But the reason I was uh, I was juxtaposing that with your in, incepting in, in people's minds, like, oh, this is the 
the Tech Nest podcast, when you hear that ding, is part of our job as venture capitalists is to separate ourselves from other venture capitalists. Money is plentiful. Mm -hmm. So how do you do that? You have to incept mm -hmm. something in their minds that says, I want to go with this team instead of that team. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so it's really interesting when I when I first started listening to this, and I was so excited when when Colin told me that um, that that you wanted to have me on the show. I I, I said, Wow, this is really cool. Yeah, of course. I've, I've, I've listened to a bunch of these, and and I'm ha actually having a hard time right now not hearing the ding because we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's, I mean, I got it. What I need to do is Riverside does give me. There's this feature that I haven't played around with. But I have ideas, and uh, I can play soundtracks while while we're recording. So, well, like, there's a there's a clapping. Is that coming through on your end? No, but you know what? So I oh, it's previewing on my end. I can hear it. So this is a shameless plug, but my my friend Edward Cohen and my prop tech venture capitalist colleague Zach Aaron's and I. Uh, host a podcast called Tangent, and yeah. he's uh, he's he's it's also in Riverside, and he's a Bucky at the effects stuff. It's really it's really wild. I haven't played with it yet, but I've I've given it some thought because uh, we'll get to some of the segments later in the show that I've thought about introducing some some sounds to. So uh, we'll we'll <laughs> come across that now. Before we go digging too far, I want to get into too many tangents, like what I did there, uh, and. Uh, uh, we we got to start off right. I need to shout out a few companies. We got Notarize, Happy Co, uh, um, Curbio. All these shows have uh, all these companies have two things in common. Yes, they have been on your show and were investors in those companies. And uh, I have to applaud you. You got three. Pretty, pretty strong ones. Is my Larry David impression good? Pretty, pretty good. I don't know who that is. <laughs> wait, come on. Sorry. Uh, wait. The joke's not going to land because... Uh, hold on. Sorry. Hold on, hold on. You don't know Curb Your Enthusiasm? Uh, that's the... Um, it was like a, a Showtime special... Like, uh, what do you I call it? I'm so excited for you right now. This oh, okay. Is, okay, so did you ever watch Seinfeld? No, not really. Me neither. Me yeah. neither. I didn't, I, like, I didn't understand it. People are obsessed with it. I found it stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically. And then, right. I'm sorry, Jerry, if you're listening. It's just not my, my cup of tea. But the guy who created it, Larry David, is hysterical. And it's, I think it's on HBO. It might be on okay. I have no idea. But I don't know. There are 11 seasons. It's it's worth checking out because it is hysterical and and then you'll you'll watch like one or two of them and and then you'll listen to this podcast again and say, oh yeah that made sense. But going back to Kirby Notarize and Happy Co, yeah those are those are three of our strongest companies and it's probably not a surprise that we have three of our largest positions in each one of those those companies. Yeah, I mean, we, and, you know, I was fortunate to talk to, I think, each of them. Well, I mean, Happy Co. is probably a, uh, started before Notarize and Curbio, I think. But, uh, you know, Notarize and Curbio, talking to them fairly earlier in, in their growth stages. And, you know, one thing that stood out for me from some of those interviews, I mean, they're really not necessarily like 
a new well, Happy Co is a totally new product, but like notarizations is not a new product. Home renovations not a new product, but really systemization, like how we're going about it. And, you know, I don't think enough could be said about what Pat Kinsella has done at Notarize, not just at Notarize. He has gone go-to-market strategy to a whole new level of literally helping rewrite the rules so yeah. that he has the tailwinds to drive Literally. product adoption forward like there's no one who's ever I, I don't know i mean maybe there's other product categories like this but other aside from the mob i don't know of anyone who's moved mo- <laughs> legislation as well as as notarize has well you know it's interesting and fortunately people are talking we as a as a species are talking less and less about covid and the pandemic but that really did provide them in particular mm-hmm. with a pretty strong tailwind where you think to yourself, having to notarize a document is a vestige from what twelfth or thirteenth century Europe. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it's literally we, a, a special a stamp, stamp, right? Like, why yeah. are we Why are we still doing that? And certainly, when we have technological tools that can create efficiencies, why aren't we using that? And then the pandemic comes along, and transactions ground to a halt because people mm-hmm. aren't able to see each other. And Pat and and his team that have been laying the groundwork for the past number of years, going yep. legislature by legislature and getting this legalized remote online notary. And the, and the great mm-hmm. thing about Notarize, which is something that if you look at, 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 our, at our biggest investments, these platform-level companies, you'll notice they have, they have, they have, two, they have, they have two pieces of the, of, the, of the puzzle. One, they're the rails, and two, they're the rail car. So Notarize mm. built the software, and they also provide a service that enterprises oh, and consumers okay. can utilize. But you don't need to utilize a Notarize notary. You can actually, if you're a notary yourself, it's like the, mm-hmm. the argument about AI. AI is not going to put people or wholesale industries out of business. It's going to enhance the people that adopt mm-hmm. it. So a notary public that says, you know what, I want to expand my business and work 24 hours a day. Well, with Notarize... You can do that, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's but 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 Curbio is a, is another interesting case study where there certainly is technology involved, but it's a business model innovation, and we mm-hmm. have that in, in a number of companies within our portfolio. Like Placemaker was business model innovation, being able to take a brand new developed building that's going through lease up. It has 100% vacancy loss until the apartments lease up, and mm-hmm. it's a found income stream for, uh, for, the, for the developers. That's business model innovation that's enabled by technology. We love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, and Kirby, I mean, they kind of remove a lot of the, the risk you know, for, for home sellers you know, that you'd typically be faced with. Interestingly enough, I mean, like, uh, five years ago, I did a really deep analysis of Open Door and and a lot of their marketing. And one thing I came across was they were actually doing running a lot of paid ads against people looking for roof repairs and roof repair estimates. And I had to assume that they had done some homework that said people look at either do they have to get the roof repaired or they needed to get the roof repair in order to sell the house, and that kind of you know, they probably zeroed in on as a potentially little bit more distressed seller who wouldn't want to go the traditional route. 
that that's a really interesting point because you think about <clears throat> you think about i buyers and you say okay well what is their utility in the market so there's utility for both the buyers and the sellers mm-hmm. because ostensibly it's a hassle-free quicker sale at the same right. time a company like curbio would say hey don't go to the open doors because they're not going to give you credit you have a crappy roof if you spend $20,000, you might be able to generate $50,000 or $60,000 more on your house. Mm-hmm. But if you go the open door route, you're not going to be able to get that value. So it's interesting. But, of course, iBuyers, if someone's using an iBuyer, they want to use it because they're just saying, hey, no muss, no fuss. I'm okay leaving money on the table. I know uh, one, of the, one of the top and probably like top ten talk show radio hosts in the country. Okay, he's a New York Times bestselling author. He's frequently on the TV cable news shows. Okay, And he and I were talking a few years ago, and we were out for coffee, and he told me that he had sold his house and didn't have to pay any realtor fees. I said, how did you do that? And he goes, oh, well, this guy sent me a letter. And I'm like, wait, what? you sold to a wholesaler. He's like, yeah, but you know what? I didn't have to pay any, I didn't have to do any repairs, clean up anything. We just moved out, boom, check. And I, I was like, it was at that moment I realized, I was like, oh, th- that model isn't just for suckers, as a lot of people would describe. It's not just for suckers. There are some people who genuinely, for them, the value is in the hassle-free, waste-no-time, easy-as-possible, and they've sold a house or two or three, and they don't want to go through what they previously went through, which, let's be honest, the experience selling a home 10 years ago is not the same today. Just even remove iBuyers. It's not the same. Time on market's not the same. The ability to buy and sell at the same time is not the same. The availability of inventory is not the same. There's a lot of things that have significantly shifted. But the experience for those who have sold homes previously, they don't want to go, you know, there's a a fair audience that still does not want to go through that ever again, hosting open houses and then doing broker opens and all that stuff that you used to have to do other than just putting a sign in the yard, put it on the MLS and call it good. Yeah. So, uh, you know, well, I, I have some questions. I want to get into that. Uh, but I want to go a little further about Camber Creek here. You, you kind of alluded to it in, about what makes you guys a little bit different as far as like what you're looking for to invest in. But when, when you're talking to founders, what what is the feedback you get from founders when they say, yeah, you know what, we would like you to be investors we want to work with you guys. What are they saying the reasons they want to work with you? You know, I think what you'll hear most is that we are quite candid about the value that we bring and whether or not we're actually going to be a value-add investor. And what I mean mm-hmm. by that, and, and I... And I actually, I, th- I think maybe I'll go on a little bit of a tangent and describe our investment thesis because that informs how we work with founders and why they choose or not choose to go with us. So we have two basic questions that we ask ourselves and a potential portfolio company. The first one is, can we use this product software service within our portfolio matrix, which we define as the buildings our limited partners own, the tenants, residents, and guests who work, live, and stay in those buildings, and the vendors who serve all three? 
So as of our fourth fund, which we're investing out of currently, uh, our $325 million fund four, we have owners and operators of billions of square feet around the globe, billions. So if Mm. you think about how many potential relationships that we can leverage for the benefit of our potential portfolio companies and our LPs, it's pretty massive. So that's the first question. But the second question is where the real nuance is. And it is, do we have conviction that we are going to make a venture return or the potential for a venture return commensurate with the risk we're taking at the stage we're taking it? In English, are we going to make a lot of money? Yeah. Now, why is this so important? So you think about the prop tech sphere, where it was when we started informally in 08 and formally in 11. It was not very large. It was pretty darn small. And the reason was <laughs> you just didn't have a lot of folks paying attention to technology adoption in real estate. Now you fast forward and there are billions and billions of dollars a year that are mm-hmm. being put into the space. At the same time, though, if you look at the relatively small circle of companies that are actually getting massive, it's not that large yet. So what does that mean? That means that the vast majority of companies that we look at, they answer question number one in the affirmative. We can certainly use them in the, in the, in the, the tenants, the residents, the guests, etc., the facilities, etc. But the likelihood that they're going to generate a venture return is way, way less common. So founders, if you ask why they like... They, they approach us, and they want us on their cap table. When we're doing our diligence, mm-hmm. we have something that we call our beta lab, and that is our, we have the largest network of real estate strategics, I believe, on, on the planet. It's 300 plus. Wow. And so we give potential portfolio companies access to that when they're deep in our diligence process. And so they're able to say, yeah. We got value out of that even before they invested. Or, you know what? This didn't work. This isn't the right fit. And it's made for really wonderful conversations and relationships. I had, I had one today with a company. We've looked at them twice. We've passed on them twice. The founder and I are still friends. We talk because I want to ensure that the next time he is looking for money that mm-hmm. he that he's looking at me and he's saying I want I, I want to talk to Jeff first even though he might say no yeah I, I, I that makes a lot of sense I mean there should be some level of uh, ability to be candid otherwise I mean if you can't trust who you're working with that doesn't feel good even if they do say yes right and, um, but it's also they're getting value from mm-hmm. us we're not just promising them something. We're not just saying, hey, this is what... We're, 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 not, we're not telling them this is what we're going to do. We're showing them what we're going to do. And if now we you, can't, then we're not the right firm. There, there, as of now, there are plenty of firms out there. Right. It's not just us, it's a growing. It's a growing category. Uh, I mean, that, that's for sure. I mean, we were seeing it talked about more and more and more. Uh, and I, I see it in, you know, on, on Twitter. You know, it's not prop tech people it's real estate people talking you know bantering criticizing prop tech 
now. And it's very interesting to see it the other way around. Because uh, I think for, and you probably uh, know this better than most, but for quite some time it was people from in the prop tech community wanting to criticize how we do real estate. It's so antiquated. It's so slow. And it, that's true. It is so slow. And it doesn't have to be this difficult. Well, there's been a lot of money <laughs> and a lot of time and sweat and effort to simplify and reduce friction and to make easy. And, you know, there's been progress, but you'd think there'd be more progress by now. Well, here's the, the, here's the not so dirty secret. It's not dirty at all. You, had, you, you said the operative word. Reduce friction. Mm. Now, do you know what? When people call the real estate industry a dinosaur industry, they're wrong. There are incredibly sophisticated organizations that operate massive amounts of real estate that don't utilize all the quote-unquote latest and greatest technology mm-hmm. that, that, is in, that, that is spouted in the prop tech sphere. Right. Do you know why that is? Well, they have, I mean, uh, I don't know the exact answer for no, everybody, no. but I imagine it, they have amazing systems. Nope. There's just one answer. Oh, and okay. I don't know. No, no. You, you do know it. You're overthinking it. Are you Tell ready me. For it? I'm, I'm, I'm lean, on the edge of my seat. I'm going to lean really deeply into my mic. Money. They've mm. made a ton of money doing things exactly the way they've done them for the past 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Right. You only innovate. What's the phrase? Necessity is the mother of innovation, right? Yeah. Is that something that our mother mentioned, something like that. So, if if the way you're operating works, well, mm-hmm. why are you going to inc- potentially increase organizational friction by adopting technology if it's not? And I'm going to use 10x as a as an as a completely arbitrary number, but if it's not 10x, not, not the better, book. Sorry, the the, the book. I, I think can't. 10x the book is behind me. I can't see it, but that's my eyes. I do see the bottle of whiskey, though. Strong to very strong. The, the, so that, that's the, that's the, quote, the, the, the dirty secret, then, or the not so dirty. It's not dirty at all. It's we tell our LPs mm-hmm. when they hear from people in the space, innovate or die, you're a dinosaur. We tell them, no, you're not. You've done really well. If you're investing in our fund, you've done really well. You do not need to listen to all the noise. Mm. There are companies that are real that are creating real and noticeable step change technology like Notarize or like mm-hmm. Flex or mm-hmm. like Curbio and Happyco and Virtual Facility and Bridge. I can name them. I can name our entire portfolio. Mm-hmm. But not every company is going to add a change agent that is going to be that is going to be transformative for the way real estate is operating which will then create the opportunity for more money and that's what the real estate industry's been really good at so yeah and you know I'm I'm just I'm not uh I I, I it almost I sounds like we're discrediting my intro where I talk about we're going to find out who's doing what to transform the way we buy sell and invest in real estate <laughs> definitely not because there, it, we are transforming. That's look. That's what we're in business for, and we've right. got almost a billion dollars under management that is focused on the innovations that are happening in the real estate space. I'm not saying that's not happening, 
But what I'm saying is there's a lot of noise. And mm-hmm. to call the entire industry a dinosaur is not necessarily the whole truth because companies that have operated profitably, they have to be given a really good reason to change their operating modality yeah. before investing time, energy, and human resources into doing so. And that's part of our job as mm-hmm. a fiduciary for our investors to help them think through how they innovate and adopt and adapt to new technology. We, we had this conversation, um, you know, when I was at Avail, and uh, you were, we're very product-led is how we, you know, tried to ingrain that into everything we did, right? Deliver value before asking for the sale is one of those, you know, PLG-type mottos. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we talked about, like, okay, how do we get the mom and pop to adopt the Avail software? And you think about the subscription, and, and we had moved to a $5 per month per unit. It's That's so nominal in terms of how much money it is. But the thing that, you know, I talked with my team, because I run marketing, so you have to understand, if they don't currently have any service they're paying for to do what they do on a monthly basis, that's an infinite increase in price. And... That is a hard sell. doesn't matter if it's $5, $10, $2. It's infinitely more than what they were doing before. If you want to charge a percent or a fee for them to use your service to collect rent, it's infinitely more than they've ever paid to collect rent previously. And that is a significant mind shift. So until they hit a problem that is worth paying for to change – it's not worth paying for. Doesn't matter how good it is because they don't have a problem significant enough to pay for solving that problem. And that's a really tough challenge to overcome. Spot on. Spot on. Spot on. Now I want to hear about more on the noise. Where's the noise in the industry right now? Where are you oh, seeing as noise? Pick one. Right now? So <laughs> yeah. right now? Yeah, where's the noise? Bring the noise. AI. That's oh, that was one of the questions. Yeah, good. Let's dig into yeah. AI. So, first of all, AI is great. And it is going to be transformative for a variety, if not every industry on planet Earth. Because sure. of the ability for a machine to take massive groups, groupings of data, synthesize, and spit out output, mm-hmm. that is transformative, like I just said. But you remember way, way back in, oh, the old time, in 2020 and 2021, when <laughs> NFTs and Web3 were all the rage, or way, way back in the olden mm. days, when they were talking about blockchain and tokenization of assets, it seems that whenever some kind of new shiny toy comes out mm-hmm. then the talking heads explode and then all of a sudden you see a bunch of companies that are repurposed oh now we're all tokenization for real estate companies or now we're all generative AI companies or now we're all web 3 NFT companies no you're not no you're not and so I feel like there's there's a lot of fake fire yeah. around this right now whereas there are certainly companies like our portfolio company Funnel, 
employs an AI chatbot mm-hmm. across its platform. And they've been doing that for years. And there are mm-hmm. other companies in the space, too, that have trained their, their bots to either triage maintenance issues or triage mm-hmm. uh, customer complaints or service requests, etc., their, mm-hmm. Our company, Virtual Facility, does the same thing. It's trained to recognize when an alarm is false or not. So AI definitely is, is, an, is, an, is an important aspect of the future for the built world. I'm rambling a little bit right now because I'm trying to think to myself all the times I've heard in the past two months or three months since ChatGPT uh, really had its... It's it was really the accessibility. It, it, it's not that AI has is. I mean, it's yes, it's a new technology, relatively speaking, right? But it, it's the accessibility that anyone has to using something that uses AI that has kind of exploded this discussion. Because Jasper has been around for some time, and mm-hmm. it leverages GPT. It just didn't catch on because they didn't go Ultimo free. Anything goes mode and then turn into a meme of I typed in this prompt and here's what I got back and as, as a screenshot you know that jet ultimately which I think OpenAI missed they, they should have as a share feature would you like to share this prompt and answer on Twitter they, mm-hmm. they could have increased their vi- virality another you know fivefold. I, I think it's really just the the accessibility that has driven this conversation but Without getting distracted by that. No, 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 but, but hold on a second. That's a really good point because I saw something on LinkedIn the other day. Uh, somebody that I, I'm obviously not going to say their name, but they've been posting for years about their company. And now they have assimilated open AI technology and they're pitching it as a completely different company, but not giving open AI the credit. And I'm sitting there scratching my head thinking to myself, wait a second. So anybody can just copy this because Mm -hmm. all you did was pull in via API and it might not be OpenAI. It may be some other source. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It feels like OpenAI just because I've I've gone down a rabbit hole. You know you can do that just through Zapier, right? Zapier will... Well, and there, there are right exactly, and there are um, there are a bunch <laughs> of websites now. I've gone down the rabbit hole a few times of all, all these companies. One site is called Futurepedia.io, where you can just see like, oh boy, how is AI applied to across the, these different functions? But it's all it's all clever programming utilizing the, the master system from from OpenAI. And what I'm saying, pulling it back to the venture world, is mm-hmm. if this person is able to raise money because they've pulled in the API from OpenAI. Well, shame on whoever is investing in that company that doesn't realize there ain't nothing novel about that. There's no product there. Yeah, there is no there. 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 I, I've seen it happen even on a worse scale than that. I mean, I've seen outright copies. I won't say who it is. I had a guest, uh, one of the guests on um, my show. They had their entire website just totally stolen by another startup in the prop tech space no joke and the reason why it was so obvious is because they had their own term that they had created for a a unit of measurement that was literally part of the brand name 
And we, we we didn't invest in this company, did we? You, no, 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 you didn't. <laughs> Neither company you invested in. <laughs> but the but the company that so. stole they stole everything word for word, and I mean it was just ridiculous. But you know, I mean, people are going to latch onto what's popular, and they think it's going to you know I in good. On, I don't want to say good on them, but like you know, to some degree, like the last few years, you got money for what was hot. You got. You got money for if it had an NFT. You got money if it was blockchain. You got money if it, you know, had some Web three component. Is some of that just natural tendency to, yeah, okay, so the company builds what's hot. The VC sees it, VC sees it, and doesn't want to miss out. Or is it is there a connection to like, hey, we have to deploy these funds. Our LPs are going to get mad if we don't deploy these funds. Like what, what really gets the VC to give the money to the thing that's hot when we all know that some of these things our trends are going to flare up and flame out. Okay. There's a lot to unpack there. So <laughs> first of all, don't mind me I, with the generalizations. When, when VCs rush to deploy capital into, let's call it momentarily hot themes or trends. And you look specifically at the last five to ten years there are two culprits and they're related one is the pressure to deploy mm-hmm. capital and two is the fact that capital for the last ten years prior to the interest rate hikes that we've had has been free everybody's mm-hmm. a genius when money is free mm-hmm. and so the, the risk tolerance across industries was really, really low. Sorry, really high. It was like, right, right. hey, you know, we can, sure, you're building an NFT of the moon that you're then going to print on a cheesecake that you're then going to blast into a quantum accelerator and send to the future and come back and stop John Connor. Like, what? Oh, yeah, bro. It's worth a billion dollars. Oh, you got it. So... That's not happening anymore. And, thankfully. And uh, thankfully. So I think I think you're going to see less than that, but you're also not going to see the entrepreneurial class try because you have a mm. range of... Uh, I'm going to get in trouble for this. You have a range of people with ability. Some people are truly visionary. And some mm-hmm. people are really good at taking someone else's idea, refining it and making it better, which is also okay. And some mm-hmm. people just copy other people and try to make hay of it because if a market is large enough. And that can be okay. Not, I'm not saying it's not. I'm just We would prefer to invest in the first, maybe the second category, but certainly the first. And so you... <laughs> we're living in a really interesting time right now where I think there was a stat that VC funding was was down to a nine-year low. But then you also have to look at the effect of, and I don't know if I'm going on a wild tangent right now, but my brain is just, I'm hearing you, the ding in the elevator. And the, you have to look at 2021 as an outlier year, of mm-hmm. course, because you had the, the crossover fund type investors coming in. And specifically in the prop tech industry, if you look at cap tables for a lot of these companies, you'll see venture investors that aren't really venture investors. 
you'll see people that you would mm. you would raise an eyebrow like this. I don't know if anyone can see that, but that's a eyebrow. I can arch. see it. I know you can, but I don't know if anybody listening to this can see it because you know it's radio. But the uh, I lost my train of thought. I was so obsessed. You're not, you're not wrong. There's a lot of investors who oh, yeah, are on cap tables who are not VCs and prop tech. And I mean, a lot of those prop techs, the music, you know, to some degree, right? It, 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 it didn't stop, but it or slowed. I want to say it well, slowed. It didn't stop. It's not that real uh, there, estate no, stopped. There are some look. But and, if you raise and, too much, too high a valuation, you, you got some interesting decisions to make. And if you well, didn't raise second. enough, regardless of valuation you know, right now you got some hold, interesting hold decisions to make sorry for my interruption no right? that's good for if it. you raised quote unquote too much at too high a valuation that's okay that's okay if you still have money if you right. don't have money then <laughs> you are up a creek that is full of feces then let me go back on that statement real quick here the, the reason i say that and, and i'm gonna talk about like C to Series A, mm-hmm. right? Because, and, and tell me where I'm wrong here. And, and you know, I think there's a few other VCs who listen, but I think a lot mostly is prop tech founders. You know, you raise too high of an, uh, a seed or A, mm-hmm. it makes your next round that much more difficult, or can make your next round that much more difficult. As well as, are you going to get the terms you really want for that next round? And that's what I mean about, like, you're going to have some interesting decisions to make here because, you know, especially at that stage, like, you've got to use the capital you were given and you've got to demonstrate that that business has kind of like one of your tenants that you were referring to, right? Does it have the ability to make a lot of money? It's got to demonstrate that in order to justify that following round. Otherwise, you've got to put together a plan. Right. What are you going to do? But the, the nuance is there are companies that raised a boatload of money at valuations that made absolutely no sense. And some of them will be fine because they have years and years of capital. Mm. And one of two things is going to happen. Either they're going to grow their revenue such that the, that the revenue multiple has some semblance of normalcy wherever the market ends up when they're, look, when they're finally running out of money. Or they're going to run out of money, and if they've built a business that looks like it can succeed, but for the valuation, they'll get recapped. And that mm. recap will, will be painful. We're, look, we're seeing that in the market right now. I'm sure you've seen the news of a number of companies that were out in the press talking about how, how much they raised and how high their valuation mm-hmm. was, and mm-hmm. now they're doing the equivalent of the tail between the legs and trying to figure figure things out. And by the way, I, I should say this to any founders that are listening. When we're diligencing a company, I would say nine out of ten times we're the lowest term sheet. And we do that by design because it's not that we're trying to be unfriendly to founders. What we're trying to do is ground the business for success and understanding like, hey, just because the rest of the world is going crazy, Mm -hmm. let's look at the multiples. Let's look at public market comps. 
let's look at the trajectory of the business and figure out what your valuation ought to be because venture is art and science. There certainly is valuation methodology, but there's also the art behind the negotiation and getting the founders to understand why a valuation should be perhaps less than they think they would get otherwise and what the value they're getting in return for potentially mm-hmm. taking a lower valuation. That's good stuff. I, I, I was thinking of another episode uh, that we had on the show that you know that was an interesting scenario when I had Rich Sarkis from Reonomy on mm-hmm. and they had raised a Series C, had a majority of it, and then raised a D. We were in 2020. They closed their offices down with like minimized expenses. It was like, you're sitting all this cash. Uh, and you know, I don't know the terms of their sale uh, when when they did exit that business, but I mean, that was one that kind of comes to mind of a very interesting play. Of you know, there was money uh, ready to go uh, to be invested in some you know interesting prop tech plays, and that's a scenario I, you know you don't usually hear of two close back to back funds or rounds like that. Um, you know, going into a business, um, I do want to make sure we cover your latest fund. We didn't, yeah. we didn't get into the details. Fill me in on the you know the big news at, at Cambridge Creek, like you know latest round or, or fund, excuse me, and really you know maybe give some details as to like here's how we plan on deploying this and what we're looking to as far as I don't know if you guys have like a a certain stage or check size part criteria, but love to hear more about that. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. So we recently announced the closing of our first opportunity fund, and this is a hundred million dollar vehicle. That goes along with the uh, $325 million fund four. So we've got $425 million that we closed in 2022, which is a a lot of dry powder, but the mandates are slightly different. The idea for the opportunity fund came from the fact that we have companies in earlier funds where we are completely out of reserve. We -hmm. continue to get our pro rata, But if we're out of reserves, we can't invest in them, and we typically do not invest cross-fund. We don't want even a a hint of the conflict of interest Mm. mixing, let's say, a Fund 3 investment with Fund 4 LPs. It's just something that we don't do. So Mm -hmm. the Opportunity Fund has the mandate to continue investing into earlier funds rounds where the growth trajectory remains strong and we want to hold our pro rata. Additionally... We have the mandate to invest in special special situations that are unique to this market environment we find ourselves in. And so it is exactly what it's titled as. It's an opportunity. opportunity yeah. There's no specific check size that we're trying to hew to. We do have a, a three to five year capital call plan. But again, it's for opportunities that potentially can go along with a fund for investment where we receive a larger allocation in a company because of our value add, then we're going to put some in fund four, some in the opportunity fund. Or if it's a previous portfolio company, like we just did an investment in a fund two company mm-hmm. and in, in from the opportunity fund, because we're completely out of reserves for fund two. Wow. Okay. And, and, uh, I have to naturally like the first thing I'm going to is like okay so like you must have come into this scenario multiple times like dang I wish we had more reserves to where we could invest in this company is that 
is that really the like the origin of this idea or did you see it somewhere else and think that hey maybe we should give this a shot like what was the genesis of it you got it you that, it was it was the first one it was dang we're going to be in a position where we've demonstrably helped portfolio companies grow mm-hmm. and we're not going to have the pro rata funds available in our reserve from that specific fund how can we take advantage of this for our investors and that's mm. that's what this was what are you uh what are you most excited about the for the prospects of the prop tech uh, industry right now and for the foreseeable in the next three to five years obviously anything beyond that is beyond anyone's guess but what are you most excited about looking forward to and really looking to be part of this is going to be a, a, a cop out answer and I'm sorry in advance <sighs> but the cop out answer is make sure I note the timestamp for people to skip this part of the interview <laughs> well unfortunately <laughs> I actually do have to run soon I gotta put my kids to bed but the really anything that touches the built world and adds efficiency mm-hmm. is something that can get me excited. I'll give you an example. We didn't invest in the space, but during the height of the pandemic, and we were trying to think about what does back to office look like. And of course, mm-hmm. that's a big vexing problem that's happening in major metropolitan areas right now. But we were thinking about the contagion environment and haptic technology that could Mm -hmm. be utilized so you don't touch anything. You just touch the air. And I went down a deep, bright hole of haptics and was talking to companies like Leap. Super cool stuff. Mm -hmm. That that in the future, I see a world where just our hands and manipulating the space around us, we can't see the molecules that we're moving when we wave our hand, but we're going to get to a point where we'll open doors with gestures and it'll just be like magic. That stuff really excites me. The, the mm. banalities of the every of the day-to-day and reducing friction in those simple, but you think about the, the, the compounding effect of removing friction from all manner of, again, banalities that we go through every day in, in buildings, like opening doors and shutting windows and turning on and off lights and things of that nature. Jeffrey, if I get you for five more minutes here, uh, I don't want to make your kids stay up too late, uh, but we're gonna, I'm going to use this opportunity to transition to the bottom segments of the show. Since you have listened, you're familiar, we're going to jump into For the Future, which is a segment I get to ask each guest who comes in the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Are you ready to play? Okay, let's go. Let's do it. Number one, what does Camber Creek look like one year from now? I would say it looks similar to the way it does today. Just continue executing on our strategy. Sorry if that's a boring answer. It's okay. Number two, an impossible question to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, What do you think the annual VC investment into prop tech startups will be five years from now? Why that number? Let's just say $100 and I have no idea other than that is a nice round number. There it is. Number three, what's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? <laughs> oh, this is so mean. <sighs> you have to be honest. I will be honest. I, oh, I really don't want to answer this question. 
because I, I don't want it. There's, there are a few people whose feelings I would actually hurt. So I'm not going to answer this question live, but I'll give you a hint. It has to do with something we spoke about earlier, but that's all I'm going to say. So uh, you're not into the metaverse. I did not say that. Um, that was my guess. We'll just leave it at that. Um, and the last one for the future here, what's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? I think the financing market for real assets, i.e. real estate, is going to change massively. I, 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 I can't even... Try to quantify and fifty-year mortgage. It's not just that; it's when we think about how real estate is utilized and the 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 way that flexible assets and flexibility for tenants and residents is mm. becoming such a, a major theme in mm. how and how and how we in how we how we use space. Yeah, the financing world is going to catch up to that. And True. it's going to look really different. And whether it's going to be way more costly or way cheaper, I think it's going to be fascinating to see. I love it. All right, Jeff, we got three last questions here. These are so our listeners get to know you just a bit better. First one, what are you reading? I am rereading my favorite books right now, which are, uh, and I hope I don't get pilloried for this, but uh, Ayn Rand, or Ayn Rand, as I say, uh, the Fountainhead, We the Living, Atlas Shrugged. I just, I just like her writing. All right. Number two, who are you learning from? Everybody. Uh, that's I, I, if you ask me, like the found my the founders in our portfolio, uh, learn from them constantly. My partners in my investment team, I learn from them constantly. My parents, my siblings. I it. Let, let's put it this way. I don't like to spend time with people I don't learn from. That's just a waste of time. Oh, that's cool. Last one here. What inspires you? What inspires me? Now, this is another cheesy cop-out question, but I'm an old dad, and I have really young kids. My kids. My kids. You know what? Um, I hear that answer a lot, and every, every time someone feels like, uh, I, I, more often than not, it's like, oh, I don't want this to be cheesy, but it's my family. And honestly, I think it's kind of awesome. I think if you just said at the end of the day, just money, I mean, like, you know, I didn't know I was interviewing Ted DiBiase, but, you know, it, you know, it, it's, I think that's cool. I don't think it's cheesy. Yeah. I think it's pretty it's my kids. cool. And speaking of them, I need to put Aurora and Delphine to sleep. And I'm going to let you go on that, Jeffrey, before we close out, for anyone who wants to get in touch with you, learn more about Camber Creek, where do they go? How do they do that? Uh, CamberCreek.com, LinkedIn, Jeffrey Berman. Uh, yeah, that's, that's where to find me. And on this awesome podcast. And on Twitter. Jeffrey's on Twitter. Uh, part of our – you're on Twitter, right? I, I'm not. Camber Creek. You're not on I, Twitter? I'm oh not on gosh. Twitter. Uh, I'll save you my spiel for Twitter. Uh, but I'm going to put you on the list of prop tech people who are missing out. Um, but uh, <laughs> Twitter is where it's at. Jeffrey, thank you for your time. Um, and uh, we'll see you around. You got it. Thank you. This was awesome. Thanks for listening to TechNest, the PropTech podcast. Find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode on technest.io. 
You can get future episodes delivered to your ears directly by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast apps. Follow TechNest on social media to stay up to speed on new developments, resources, and announcements in PropTech. Your support is greatly appreciated. There's two ways you can directly support this podcast. Share episodes you find interesting, and then leave a review of the show in the App Store. From Nate and the TechNest team, thanks for listening.